And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. I don't know why I started laughing. Life's been good to me. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Zachary, don't be crazy. Candy girl, you are my world. When we did the Candyman one, we were like... Candy man, you are my man. No, that was like you got from a hook Capaldi for a hand. Green. Got a hook for a hand. Yeah, <laughs> and all I know. That's a good one. I like that. That was fun. <laughs> what was your? What do you think? I, I'm sure you've had a lot of candy this Halloween. What do you think is your number one candy that you ate this Halloween? Like the most? That I ate the most of? Yeah. Ooh, I have had quite a bit of Rolos <laughs> and. <laughs> Which isn't traditionally a Halloween candy that I normally have. That's like a Christmas candy for me. Yeah, it is. But they were kind of out of all the candy. So Alex bought like a bunch of good stuff. (laughs) And so I'm just like, I'm just going to steal from some of these kids. And like, (laughs) as I was like in between kids, I was just totally eating out of that that, uh, giant bowl. I'm like, I got this. Are they the individually wrapped Rolos or is it like a pack of three? it, It was like a pack of three, but it was a million of them in this bowl. And I just was just going to town. So <laughs> those are so good. Every pack I was eating just multiply it by three, and I'm just like, fuck, I had a lot of rolls. But normally I have evidence. Normally there's like the tin foil yeah. that I can wrap and make a super like softball size fucking ball of tin foil, and I didn't have that. And normally that's sort of my my barometer that lets me know, hey Justin, now calm down. You might have had too many, but I just had wrappers, and that that wasn't cutting it because there's just a bunch of. Like a crinkle, crinkle sounds in my pockets. <laughs> crinkle, crinkle sounds. Then you become the uh, the Leo meme that you sent. <laughs> right. I, you know what's funny? I'm sure it's coincidence, but my t-shirt does feel a little tighter today. <laughs> I had shrunk in the wash there. Yeah, sure. How about that? We'll go but with it's, that. It's a little snug in my in my pits. Oh, oh I man. Think I, uh, I think I might have had one too many pieces of the candy there. I had a lot of the so I bought a I bought a couple bags of Snickers, like just a variety pack. And then I went to Costco and got the giant pack of stuff. So I hid the good stuff underneath and I had a little party at my house. No trick or treaters, but my friends didn't really take much candy. So now I have like eight pounds of candy I have to eat. And uh, I've been eating the peanut butter Snickers quite a bit. The squares. Oh, Mm -hmm. those are so goddamn good. They're very dangerous, though. I try to limit myself to five a day. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, five feet. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm not surprised on the trick-or-treater front, only because uh, where your neighborhood is, it's kind of a thriving neighborhood, but where your complex is, it has like that sort of back yeah. alley vibe to it, to where you don't really <laughs> yeah. want to go down it. <laughs> yeah, I got the nut gobbler coming down my alley, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's no rooster walking by. It's kind of weird. It's It's an interesting little lot. Yeah, it is. We'll take the lot. So. Yeah, we'll take the lot. Exactly. Oh, man. I watched so much Harry Potter these last couple of days. We're taking care of my aunt. She loves Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And we watched one through five. And then I tried to take a quick break and watch, throw some Lord of the Rings on. But I think it might have just been too heavy for her. And she wasn't really getting it. So yeah. we went back to Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter, though. 
ah, it's like become become one of my comfort things. And you watched which which ones did you watch? Uh, one through five. Okay. So I did get to hear who said what. Your boyfriend say your boyfriend. No, Heavy D or whatever his name is. Big D. <laughs> yeah, Big D. Dudley Dudders. Dudders. My goodness. Dudley Muffins. Um, and then I, 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 I think I mentioned this last week, but I restarted Game of Thrones. Yeah. So it's my first rewatch after the show has ended. And there's so many cool like callbacks that I'm just sort of remembering uh, that happened and played out in the last season. And the most recently was the, uh, excuse me, uh, season season two, episode nine, the, the Blackwater, Battle for Blackwater one. Oh, where, that's a good episode. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. And the the bells start ringing and, and Varys and Tyrion are like, oh, man, I hate the fucking bells. <laughs> it's always something <laughs> bad when the bells are ringing. And then yeah. that's the name of the episode was the bells, right? When when Daenerys is flying through with her dragon and going, ah, and, and burning everything. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a fun callback that it's an omen that those bells is bad news bears. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I mean, I it had been years, right? Like 2012 versus 2019 or whatever. So you're just like, oh, yeah, time has passed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you going to remember that piece of dialogue? So it was kind of fun. Interesting callback. Cool. Right on, man. Yeah. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, I don't know why I went down the rabbit hole, but I, I decided to start watching all the Final Destination movies, and there are five of them, Justin. Uh, they are awful. But for some reason, I was transfixed to the TV and it's just like the Rolos. Once you start eating, you just can't stop. And right. so I I had to watch all of them. They progressively get worse. But the thing about it, just like Saw, uh, the thing about it I like the most is just how inventive the deaths are. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine of, of death. It's It really made me aware of like any electrical cords that might be frayed in my house or if a jug of water is leaking on, on the side and if that's going to, you know, shoot us or electrocute a socket, which is going to explode. And then a knife's going to fly through the air and cut like a string that's holding a hammer for some reason and then hit me in the head. So yeah, it was a uh, pr- mousetrap sort of deaths in those movies. Exactly. Yeah. That Rube that Goldberg this thing. wheel. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the cage always gets stuck at the end because it never <laughs> <Yeah>. works. <laughs> So oh, when I was yeah. driving up to Washington to get married, uh, there were a couple of logging trucks and I was oh. like, oh, my God, take a picture. We'll document all the final destination moments. So I have like three <laughs> photos of logging trucks. So I was like, ooh, can't be behind this guy. Nope. At one point it was raining all bad and stupid. And I was made the Lord very nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched It Follows again. And for some reason, I thought I had seen that, but I had not. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, it's good. It's a good movie. Um, I and, saw that movie yeah. in Burien, of all places. That's a weird place. That's uh, where you, I know. <laughs> that's where you get the it to follow you and you go to Burien. <laughs> yeah, no, that town is seedy, man. Yeah, I'm not a fan Woo. of Burien. That's why oh. people people are trying to move away from there. But really, it's people are moving there because of uh, it's cheaper houses. So <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah. Um, I also watched the Brady Bunch movie for some reason on HBO Max just because I needed just a movie to put on and um, not very good. Uh, but then I also watched Horrible Bosses and that movie is really funny. I that's forgot how funny that one was. So That's all I did, though. That's all I watched. Nice. That's a lot. Five Final much. Destination movies. It follows the Brady Bunch movie and Horrible Bosses. Oh, my God. And also I went to the movie theater and I have the AMC uh, A-list. So I saw the new Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch. Um, absolutely loved it. And I think that you would really, really enjoy it. It is, uh, 
it's so many when you watch it, you're like, oh, my God, that's that person. Oh, my God, that's that person. There are so many great cameos in it. Fantastic performances. And it's it's just a true Wes Anderson film. And I, I cool. loved loved it to pieces. I think it, it was was very, very good. Did you see the the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, too? Not yet. That's not out yet. Licorice Pizza. Oh, yeah, that's it. What about the the new Edgar Wright movie with the Soho uh, last night in Soho? Um, yeah, I plan on seeing that. I'm trying to I'm going to try to see that this weekend. I might see it Friday if I have nothing going on. But uh, I'm really digging this A-list. I've, it's already paid for itself with just those two movies. But yeah, I can I can go see that movie um, at a bunch of different theaters. And then um, there are some other ones that are coming out pretty soon. But uh, I've heard good things about the last night in Soho. I've purposely tried to avoid anything. And with the French Dispatch, I, I honestly hadn't seen a, a single trailer. Um, all I knew is that it was a Wes Anderson film that was delayed because of the pandemic. And that was it. I didn't know the plot or anything. And it, it was such a delight to see. At first, I was I kind of was like, what the fuck is going on? But then it all made sense. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's always fun when you have no idea what a movie is about. Oh. I, knew, I Honestly, I had no idea that movie was even a thing. So oh, you, you'd, you'd I learned it. something today. Yeah. Justin, you would love it. I guarantee. So. I don't know. No, or your money back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guarantee. It's on the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe it. It's a little. Uh, what is it? The tooth fairy is going to come. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to come and take your kids while you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so in the spirit of the World Series that I actually ended yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for all you Atlanta, Atlanta Braves fans. Yeah. It's been a while. What, 94, maybe? It's, it's been about tw- 26 years is what it, I think it was. Yeah, so, yeah. So 94. And then I think the Indians won 95. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yay to those guys, I guess. And uh, anyway, so we thought we'd do a baseball movie. Baseball stuff. <laughs> Very excited about that. And uh, yeah, so we're going to do Moneyball from 2011, directed by Bennett Miller, who you might know from Foxcatcher and Capote. I saw Capote in the theater. And that is an uneasy movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a skin crawler kind of a movie. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's a very uncomfortable vibe, uh, which also I guess you get in Foxcatcher. But this one, not so much. This one's uh, I laugh a lot in this movie. But uh, it's written by Stephen Zalian, Aaron Sorkin, Stan Chervin, and uh, Michael Lewis wrote the book. So it's based on based on a novel there. Uh, the cast includes Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robin Wright, Chris Pratt, and Stephen Bishop. That's uh, Dave Justice, right? Uh, yeah, Stephen Bishop. Yeah, he, he was yeah, a former like baseball lookalike. player, too. Yeah, he looks yeah. just fucking like him. <laughs> he does, yeah. Yeah. And he also has a small role in the movie The Rundown. He plays a quarterback in that, oh, yeah, too. Yeah. At the, the, in the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny where he's like on the Lolo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. That Me too. So funny. <laughs> little thunder, little, little lightning. <laughs> hey, Kansas City. Hey, Kansas City. Oh my God, I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the tooth fairy. Oh my God, mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> they relieved her of her artifact. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's a movie I'd like to do. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, anyway. So, Critical Reception. This movie is uh, at a whopping 94% on the old tomato meter there. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. A couple people didn't like it. 
including Nigel Andrews from Financial Times, says Brad Pitt in a dugout. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Here is baseball reel upon reel and inning upon inning, which I don't think they watched the movie because there's barely any baseball. <laughs> For a baseball <laughs> movie, there's not a lot of baseball in it. <laughs> yeah, there's really not. Yeah. I thought that's uh, an interesting review. That tells me that this person did not even watch the movie. There was a lot of money and there was a lot of balls in this run. I feel like a teacher sometimes where it's like, did you even read the material? <laughs> yeah. Read the spark notes. <laughs> there's no fucking way that person watched this movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, then you have Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online. Like a long, boring game of chess where hopeful baseball players are discarded as effortlessly as a pawn and a knight, Moneyball fails to provide the sentiment it needs to inspire audiences. C minus. Whoa. Whew. Whereas Rapper Guzman from Newsday says Moneyball's a winner. One of the freshest and smartest sports movies in years. Mr. Guzman gets it. Then you have David Elliott. Brad Pitt is at the top of his own game as being cocky and often nonchalant. He is gnawed by doubts that he tries to cover by grabbing a snack or pitching a grin. Yeah. And then Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian says it's an engaging, almost exotic film. Ooh, exotic. Oh, I don't hear that too often. <laughs> anyway, the budget was uh, estimated at $50 million. It grossed. 75 million in the United States and Canada. Worldwide, you're looking at 110 million dollars. Not too shabby. It came out September 25th, 2011. Made 19 million on its opening day or weekend, rather. And then word of mouth spread like the wildfire. <laughs> like that crazy wildfire. So can... Yeah, like the kind that's in the the. Dante's Blackwater Peak? Bay know. or whatever it's called. <laughs> Dark. What's the name of that bay? Butcher's Bay? Uh, no, in Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Oh. Yeah. Blackwater, right? Yeah, I think it's Blackwater. Yeah. Something like that. So. Yeah. Booty Bay. Booty, 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 rocking everywhere. Yeah. For all you Bubba Sparks fans out there, all five of you. But So, so. Uh, real quick, there is a lot of trivia. I thought each yeah. thing was just so fascinating, so I just kept adding and kept adding and kept adding. <laughs> so put, a I put a dollar and I got a car. Put a dollar and I got a car. Put a dollar and I got a car. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to add that to the add that to the, to the list. That's fine. I, I read all, through all of them last night, but uh, I will read these. So here we go. Since there was no money to shoot in all the stadiums the Oakland Athletics visited, uh, Dodger Stadium was dressed up as eight different ballparks. Very cool. And eight different hot dogs, too. The film's original director, Steven Soderbergh, love him, he's great, intended to have all the baseball players portray themselves. When Columbia Pictures dropped the film, the script was later rewritten and the new director, Bennett Miller, hired actors. I think the actors would have been better than having them play themselves. I, I don't know. I think so, at least. You think what? Actors um, should have... I'm glad that there there were actors. I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. It's a craft, yeah. man. You can't just all of a sudden be, no. a, be an actor. I mean, some people can do it, but... Yeah, not everybody. Acting. Acting. <laughs> so, I hate that. I know. Bennett Miller told a screening audience that A's assistant GM Paul De, De Podesta uh, did not wish to have his real name used in the movie, but was very helpful during its making. While the filmmakers had no obligation to change his character's name to Peter Brand, they did so willingly. It's nice. Director Bennett Miller was so impressed with Karis Dorsey when she sang the show by Lenka during her audition that he not only cast her as a protagonist's daughter, but let her sing the 2008 song twice in the movie, 
which was set in 2002, sacrificing its historical authenticity. Yeah, just a little girl caught in the middle. Uh, despite suggestions in the movie that life is a game and love, love is just a riddle. <laughs> You're such a loser, Dad. You're such a loser, Dad. <laughs> despite suggestions in the movie that Scott Hatterberg was a bad fielding for spaceman, he ended the year with a fielding percentage of 994, higher than the league average for the position of 993. That's really important later. David Justice is played by Stephen Bishop, a former pro baseball player. Bishop was a career minor leaguer and as a Braves prospect was nicknamed Young Justice due to his physical resemblance and similar playing style to David Justice. The Oakland A's set a new American League record for consecutive wins with 20. The all-time major league record is 26, set by the New York Giants in 1916, including one tie. Without ties, the record belongs to the 2017 Cleveland Indians with 22 straight wins. Bill James, noted as the, statist- uh, the statistical influence for the main character's analysis, is regarded by many to be the father of sabermetrics. This study of advanced baseball statistics is named after the Society for American Baseball Research, or Saber. <laughs> Sabre. Under Mifflin and Sabre. Sabre. An organization uh, to which James and other sabermetrics pioneers belong. The film puts a heavy emphasis upon a... On, upon on-base percentage, OBP, through concepts like WOBP, FIP, and BABIP. Uh, but they, those are not mentioned. <laughs> I don't understand this uh, YPMP. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hit, hit song right here. <laughs> it's a hit record. Oh, boy. John C. Riley quotes aside. Let's do this. All right, so here's a synopsis for anyone Wait. who has... What? Oh, go ahead. Um, before you do that, there's one thing like... Uh, it's almost like a teaser synopsis, but there's a quote in the movie that, that starts the whole thing off where uh, he where Billy Bean is in Stephen Schott's office, uh, who's the owner of the Oakland A's. And he says, Bill, we're a small market team and you're a small market GM. I'm asking you to be OK not spending money that I don't have. And I'm asking you to take a deep breath, shake off the loss, get back in the room with your guys and figure out how to find replacements for the guys that we lost with the money that we do have. Boom. Moneyball. <laughs> that's like literally the movie. Yeah, it really is. And I thought that I, as he was saying, I'm like, well, that's the whole movie shot. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> okay, well, here is the full synopsis. But Billy Bean, uh, he is the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, is devastated by the team's loss to the New York Yankees in the 2001 American League Division Series. With the impending departure of star players Johnny Damon, Jason Giambi, and Jason Isringhausen to free agency, uh, Bean needs to assemble a competitive team for 2002 with Oakland's limited budget. During a scouting visit to the Cleveland Indians, Bean meets Peter Brand, a young Yale economics graduate with radical ideas about how to assess player value. Bean tests Brand's theory by asking whether he would have drafted Bean out of high school. Though scouts considered Bean's promising... Bean promising his career in the major leagues was disappointing. Uh, Brand admits that based on his method of assessing player value, he would not have drafted him until the ninth round. Impressed, Bean hires Brand as his assistant GM. The scouts are hostile towards strategy, and Bean fires head scout Grady Fusen after a heated confrontation during which he accuses Bean of destroying the team. Bean also faces opposition from Art Howe, the athletics manager. With tensions already high between them due to a contract dispute, Howard disregards Bean and Brand's strategy and plays more traditional lineup that he prefers. Early in the season, the Athletics are already 10 games behind first, leading critics to dismiss the new method as a failure. 
brand argues their sample size is too small to conclude the method does not work. And Bean convinces team owner Stevens uh, shot. Is it shot or Scott? I think it's Scott shot to stay the course. Shot, 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 shot. There you go. Everybody. In order to get help on defense, Bean trades Jeremy Giambi to the Phillies for John Mabry and also trades the lone traditional first baseman, Carlos Pena, to the Tigers. So how has no choice but to play the team Bean and Brand have designed? Three weeks later, the Athletics are only four games behind first. Before the trade deadline, Bean acquires relief pitcher Ricardo Rincon from the Indians, and on August 13th, the team starts winning starts a winning streak. Bean superstitiously does not watch games, but when they tie the American League record of 19 consecutive wins, his daughter persuades him to attend the next game against the Kansas City Royals. Oakland is leading 11-0 when Bean arrives in the fourth inning, only to watch the Royals even the score. Thanks to a walk-off home run by Hatterberg, the Athletics achieve a record-breaking 20th consecutive win. Bean tells Brand he will not be satisfied until they have changed baseball by winning the World Series using their system. Later, the Athletics win the 2002 American League West title, but lose to the Minnesota Twins in the 2002 American League Division Series. Bean is contacted by the owner of the Boston Red Sox, John W. Henry, who realizes that the sabermetrics is the future of baseball. Bean declines an offer to become the Red Sox general manager, despite the $12.5 million salary, which would have made him the highest paid GM in professional sports history. He returns to Oakland, and while disclosing the offer to Brand, he mentions that he ultimately sees it uh, all as a failure. Brand reassures him by showing a video of a heavyset batter who hits a home run but doesn't realize it at first and tells Bean that he did the same. It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. <laughs> Later, Bean is driving in his car and listens to a CD made by his daughter. The CD starts with a message from her mentioning his decision on whether he will stay in California and that he's a great dad. She sings The Show by Lenka, but changes the final lyrics to You're Such a Loser Dad, Just Enjoy the Show. The epilogue reveals that Bean declines the World Se- or the Red Sox offer to remain with A's and that two years later, the Red Sox win the 2004 World Series using the model the Athletics pioneered, breaking the team's 86-year drought. The curse of the Bambino. That wimpy deer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Sultan of Swat. The Colossus of Cloud. The Colossus of Cloud. <laughs> I thought it was some lady, <laughs> Ruth, <laughs> baby Ruth. <laughs> so fucking <stupid>. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Baseball stuff. There you go. Cool. So when did you first see Moneyball and what were your initial thoughts as you are a super mega baseball fan? Did you I go in am. screaming baseball stuff? <laughs> hitting dingers in the audience. No, I actually did not see it in theaters. Um, I think it was around 2012 because I didn't really hear about it that much um then it got nominated for the academy awards and i was like oh i should probably check this out and uh i I liked it a lot so i I watched it at home i think i rented it probably from uh from the netflix there but um yeah really liked it when i saw it and uh on subsequent viewings i've seen it probably four other times um really really enjoy it obviously they take liberties you know it's um it's a dramatic story but i i think they do a very good job of making it um, appealing to all masses and people who aren't even sports fans. And we can talk about that kind of later just with the liberties they took. But um, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And it gives me hope because I am a sabermetrics nerd. I I, I love that kind of stuff. And um, I love statistics. So, but yeah, what about you? When did you see it? Uh, Yeah, I saw it at home. I didn't watch it in theaters, Uh, but I've, I've seen this movie a million times. Uh, This is actually one of Alex's like comfort food movies to where she has on like, 
every other month kind of thing. <laughs> it's like this and the Martian. Ooh, I love the Martian. That's a good uh, one. What's the other one where with Thomas Jane and the Sharks? Punisher? Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah. We watch Deep Blue Sea a lot too. Oh, that's a good movie too. Yeah. That's like on her rotation. That's so funny. Those are such interesting films. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I'm like, oh, great. Deep Blue Sea again. Let's watch it. <laughs> Tired of these motherfucking sharks in this motherfucking water. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, I mean, it's fun. I enjoy it. But I enjoy it, too. I I am surprised at the amount of times I've seen it. And Lake Placid, that's another one. <laughs> Those are two of like the same too. movies, though. I know. She's into that stuff. It's funny. Oh, Michael so, Rappaport is in Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah, he's smart, too. He knows about buckling and, and physics and stuff. Yeah, he is smart, yeah. Yeah. All right, so speaking of being smart, as I stutter as I say that, um, there's a line in the movie where he says we have to think differently. And, uh, you know, Steve Jobs with Apple believe this, and I'm inclined to believe him. Uh, this ball club doesn't have nearly the same spending power as the New York Yankees. It's pointed out at the beginning of the film that it's basically a $30 million budget versus a $127 million budget. So who cares if they can't afford another first baseman as good as Giambi? Because... Uh, you know, th- it doesn't matter if they find a replacement because they can't afford him anyway. So who gives a shit, right? So, you know, what do you do? Have you ever had to problem solve like this where you were faced with a challenge either at work or in your personal life where what you were doing just wasn't working and and you had to you had to change the way you were thinking where, where something has to change or you will just continue to fail? Well, I mean, isn't the definition of insanity trying the same thing over and over again and respect and expecting different results each time? I mean, yeah, I I think change is incredibly necessary. And we talk about, you know, how people won't change. But I do believe that there are aspects in your life that you can change to have a different outcome. So I really think that it's important to take a take a step back and look at all of um, uh, what you're doing and and see if, if, if there's a different different route you can take in terms of like personal life stuff. I mean, I want to say dating, but obviously, you know, you know my shit with that and I'm not going to talk about that too much, but I did, I have changed up approaches and that has actually worked better for me. So, um, I mean, that's a positive, but I guess we'll, we'll get there once I finally get to the end game, <laughs> whenever that may be. But, um, in terms of work, yeah, absolutely. And I think retail really shined and for lack of a better example, target was a, was a big one. So I do remember coming into Target, uh, my store did not have an ETL assets protection that was very good. They kind of had a revolving door. And I wanted to come in, you know, I didn't want to come in guns blazing. Um, I wanted to ease myself in. But there were a lot of holes and flaws that I saw in their um, in their EAS tagging and in their security of the store and just general um, understanding of what assets protection did. And so I really kind of came in and, and instilled some some different policies and really tried to get buy-in from people. So, um, you know, it ultimately resulted in way better recoveries of merchandise, uh, a ton more apprehensions. I mean, the entire store was understanding how assets protection was supposed to work. I constantly got comments like, wow, God, you got another one today? You got another shoplifter? Oh, wow, you recovered that? Jeez. And people got excited and they knew what to look for. So I want to think that I I did make a positive change when I was there. Um, it resulted in, you know, my better inventory results, like the best they'd had in a decade. So I think that that was awesome. And it was just because we changed up some of the stuff we did. Same thing with REI. When I was working at REI, they have a lot of expensive merchandise there. And they 
for some reason, we're not doing uh, EAS tagging. And for anybody who doesn't know EAS, it's electronic article surveillance. There are those little tags that, you know, if you if you forget, they forget to take it off, it starts beeping basically when you walk out. And, uh, you know, we didn't have anything tagged up and we were in downtown Seattle at REI. People would just grab things and walk right out. So in order to prevent some of that, I showed, I, I got a tagging program underway and was really trying to get the leaders to buy in. And it did result in more products being kept in the store. Uh, we had stronger recoveries. We were able to really deter some theft. And I created slideshows on this and data on this. And I showed people how it worked. And it's funny because after I left REI, they were a bunch of people, a bunch of management were so hesitant about locking things up. And then I, I go back into the store, you know, a couple of years later and boom, everything's locked up. So <laughs> I want to believe that I was pioneering something there. I was the the Billy Bean of, of EAS stuff during that time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry that was long, but uh, no, no, I, think, I think I think I think during work and stuff, um, it's it's really important to realize, you know, you have to kind of take a step back, stop and and be okay with that change. You no one knows everything and age does not matter in any of these situations. It's it's uh something that you need to shut up and listen because other people have good ideas as well. The green is for go ahead and stop talking. <laughs> yeah. How's your how's your gay son? <laughs> <laughs> the the sophomore, the homosexual sophomore. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. No, that's true. Uh, so, I mean, my experience shifted with um, with Dark Souls, right? Because I've always been a run and gun kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And that shit don't fly in Dark Souls, at least until you're good. Uh, and so when I started playing Dark Souls, I died a lot. And I was like, there's no way the game is this hard. I'm just doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so once I figured out how to play, then, you know, now I can beat the game in, in no time at all. And so... And, and I, you know, just becomes like a, you know, an afternoon adventure. Like, hey, I want to be Dark Souls. So then I'll just play it for a couple hours and boom, I'm done. And that's really awesome. But I mean, I literally had to reinvent how I played video games and approach them. And now I love it. So it's kind of interesting to where I've always just been like this. Yeah, I'm going to take that hill. And, and <laughs> yeah. And I just died constantly <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing, playing the old Dark Souls there. So it was, it was. As someone that has played video games my entire life that way, <laughs> to have to stop was was a challenge, to say the least. You can do stealth, or it's not required. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not doing stealth then. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Uh, 100% that's how it was for me. I agree. And I think like things, you know, like cooking or just everyday tasks that you normally do, it's it, it's important to be like for me, I have a hard time reading instructions for things. And I'm like, I'll just I'll figure it out. I'll put it together. But then when I mess up stuff, I'm like, OK, stop, read it page by page and just do it. Do the proper thing and uh, and then you'll have better results. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so another fun part was uh, you, you don't know how to play when they when they go to to pitch a uh, contract to Hatterberg. Uh, there's like this one problem and it's like, you don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard. Tell him, watch, tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> now, Zach, you've been watching baseball to and fro all the live long day. In your opinion, which three positions would you argue are the hardest to play in baseball? 
Oh yeah. So, I mean, I'm a huge baseball fan. I mean, people probably know that by now, but, um, I would have to say, and I played baseball. So I was a catcher, um, growing up and I played the outfield, but, uh, catcher is definitely one of the hardest because you are, you're crouching the entire time. You have all that gear on. You have to be one of the strongest players on the team. Cause you got to make the throws. You got to have the vision of the entire field. You kind of have to be, a, I mean, everybody has to be aware of where the runners are, but you really have to be aware of where, where the runners are. And you have to know your pitcher. You have to study each batter. You got, you have to call the right signs and the right pitches um, and be, have a real good connection. Also, you're looking at, you know, like a 90, 90 mile per hour curveball, And if it gets away from you or like a sinker, if it gets away from you, that's a pass ball and that runner's gone. And if you have someone like a Ricky Henderson on the, you know, on second base, you might make it all the way to home run, Ricky run baby. So, um, it's incredibly important with how you have to act as a backstop and just the, the toll your body takes. I mean, Buster Posey, one of the, the best catchers of all time, just announced his retirement today. And that guy is not old. It's just, you know, he was a catcher forever. His knees are shot. He moved to first base. He DH, but it's just a, it's a, it's a tough position, man. And they, he got knocked out real hard uh, for when they did the collision plays. They actually banned collision plays um, in baseball a few years back, but he got knocked out super hard uh, for, for blocking the plate. So, I mean, that's uh, definitely one of the toughest. Um, I would also say pitching, uh, obviously, you know, in tandem with catching, because if you're off, man, you're off. And it is so hard to get out of that that zone. And if you simplified baseball, how I explain it to people is it's a person throwing a ball to a guy who must hit it. And then there's eight other people out there. So you're watching essentially 90% of the game is watching the pitcher and the batter. And so watching a pitching duel or watching someone, you know, throw a perfect game or throw a no hitter or just throw a gem is so fun to watch because they look untouchable. Like they are throwing things and no one can get a hit off of them. And it is, it is incredible to watch. So I think pitching is definitely one of those tough ones. It's a lot of mental too. Um, finally, yeah. I, what is the quote? Half of this game is 90% mental <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely think that that pitching's up there too. And then Finally, uh, third base, third base is, uh, it's called hot corner because when you are getting a ball, uh, ripped down the left field line, you have to be incredibly athletic. You have to then turn around and make that throw all the way across the diamond to first base. And that's not an easy throw. Uh, Alex Bregman had an amazing catch last night in game six, uh, where he robbed a, um, he robbed a single from Solaire and it was, you know, a great diving stop. He got up, he threw a one hopper to first base and got Solaire out. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, I've seen some amazing plays from, you know, Kyle Seeger, Evan Longoria, so many good third basemen's out there. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a tough position to play for sure. And, and usually that's why you usually have a stud like Manny Machado and stuff play third, maybe not so much this year still. So those are my three positions, third base catcher and pitcher. Nice. Ricky Henderson actually is, he is crushing the the leaderboards with uh, most steals. <laughs> He's oh like, yeah, fourteen oh six. The next closest was Lou Brock at nine thirty eight. Um, yeah, I, I don't think anybody will ever touch Ricky Henderson's <laughs> record. Just kind of like uh, you know uh, Pete Rose. No one in the world will ever touch Pete Rose's um, uh, single, sing, or I'm sorry, career hits record. You literally have to have like two hundred uh, hits a season for like 20 years to 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 break it and and with modern baseball there's no way you can do that so it's it's incredibly asinine that he's not in the hall of fame but i won't get into that right now so mm-hmm. it's pete rose is like is arguably the greatest hitter of all time one of the greatest hitters of all time it's crazy 
And he'll sign anything you put in front of him. Really? Mm-hmm. What a nice guy. He likes to sign stuff. He needs that money <laughs> so he can go gamble more. Yeah. My goodness. So it's stated in the film that baseball's thinking is medieval. They're asking all the wrong questions. It's not about buying players. It's about buying wins. In order to win, you have to have runs. Effectively, you buy players that can get on base and you will get your wins. Uh, what do you think? Does this model work or would you laugh this guy out of your office? Um, I mean, yeah, for the most part, I, I, I think it works. You need runs to to score, and that is why having someone strong as a leadoff hitter is really crucial. So like in Seattle, you know, we had Ichiro Suzuki for the longest time, and he was batting leadoff and one of the one of the best hitters to come out of you know Seattle history and one of the best hitters in, in the majors. Um, he also had a lot of speed. One of the knocks that I always thought was it was dumb that they, they never sent him as much. Like he should have been, you get on base as a leadoff hitter, if you are a fast guy, which typically it's it's a good move to have, you steal second or or pass ball, you're on second. Boom, you're in scoring position. Like a Ricky Henderson, he's on second. I mean, holy shit, that guy will steal twice in one, in one pitching series. And then you're like, now I have a runner in scoring position and it's Ricky Henderson. I mean, that just adds so much pressure onto the pitcher. It adds pressure onto the defense because you have to adjust your game plan for him. And so I think it's um it's really important looking at those stats and seeing who can get on base, especially if they are, um, are are decently speedy, you know, and they have a really good eye. And I think that that's really important. So in uh, this movie, though, he didn't want people to steal. He didn't want people to bunt, he didn't right? Want people to sacrifice. He just wanted to hit the ball and get on base. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, and they made it. They made it. They dumbed it down. Yeah. And 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 so that's what that's why I said for the most part, yeah, because I think it's, I think that's where the the money ball um, theory kind of, kind of fails a little bit because our experiment fails a little bit. Well, I, I, I totally get statistics and I, and I agree with it completely. You do have to kind of have a feel and you need people who have natural talent and, um, and that ability to get to that level for certain things, because it really can change the game and it, and it, and it changes up the other team's entire plan. When again, Ricky Henderson, when you have him on there, you have to be aware of him and you that can shake a pitcher and completely throw off his command. And I think it's just um, it's it's a very residual effect that comes from it. So finding that value in players who have just good vision and can get on base because baseball is a stat driven driven game. We were talking about war. We we're talking about OBPI or OBIP. Um, it's impossible to ignore because of how many games you play. We're creatures of habit. But where I do differ is that sometimes there are players with unbelievable talent. Like I was saying, you know, the, the people that can steal um, people, Mike Trout's that can just mash the ball and they're a five tool player. Those types of people can push you over the edge. So while baseball is a team sport um, and not, not necessarily one player will make that difference. I do believe that uh, when you do have a ringer in there with some sort of leadership or, or a certain ability, that's what, pushes you to the next level just like what the mariners did for this last season we need mm-hmm. a we need we need a big name a big slugger someone who will will push us beyond the brink get us to the playoffs and make us win those certain games you know sure all right that's fair so follow up uh Pete, in the in the movie says people are overlooked for a variety of biased reasons and perceived flaws age appearance and personality so the code that they have, their little algorithm, along with mathematics, can cut through all that. It's just numbers on paper. So let's pretend you're the GM of a ball club. Would you want to cut through all that? Or do you believe that things like age, appearance, and personality have a place in your decision-making process? 
I mean, uh, you know, I, I would have to do my homework, obviously. I do my own research, but I would listen to what the scouts are saying if they presented a good argument for why, and then I would take that into consideration. But making flippant statements like, uh, like you know, um, well, he has an ugly girlfriend. It's like, come on, man. Are you just joking or or what? what's your reason for this? Right. So they equated that to a confidence problem. Yeah. And I'd be like, bullshit. That's that's really stupid to say because you can build confidence in people. And that's I think that was an incredibly inappropriate statement. Oh, in my, sure. One hundred percent. Yeah. It's yeah. Fucking an asshole move to say personality is interesting because, uh, you know, like. If you have someone that's a troublemaker, absolutely, that could, have, that could be a problem. Yeah, and that's why he traded, you know, Giambi. It makes mm-hmm. sense because th- those those things can play a factor when it comes to team chemistry. Because if he's not bought in, if if David Justice was like, "Nah, dude, I've been doing this forever. I'm just going to try to swing away, and I'm not buying into the program," um, then then you have a real problem, and the team chemistry is ruined. I I don't care about the appearance of players. I mean, it looks intimidating when you see someone that's just yoked out of their mind who's like a baseball player. Like he looks like a baseball player, right? But I do care about their confidence instead and how they would handle something like a strikeout, um, you know, after a tough play. Are they going to break their bat over their knee? Are they going to throw a, a bat at, at, at the wall? Are they going to get in a fight with a teammate? Because that shit would not slide. You need to have a good uh, team bonding thing. You need to have a good, uh, locker room, I guess you could say it or a a good dugout. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's highly, highly important. So those are the things that I would want them to tell me about. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of cool to watch Bo Jackson break a bat. (laughs) Well, see, and so that, so, so, so that goes back to like what we were saying. Bo Jackson was one of those players that he did both, man. I mean, football and baseball, and he was good at both. And, like he struggled a little bit when he when he uh, came to Oakland, but I mean he he mashed home runs, dude, and he was just a an animal. That guy was built like a brick shit house. He was just like a natural athlete. Um, I mean, up until like a few years back, I think he was fighting UFC or not fighting UFC. He was doing something, but that guy is just an animal, and he was so fun to watch. But he's the type of person that could send you to that next level because he'll he'll get you those runs which gets you those wins because he just mashes the ball so yeah he's a beast he was incredible to watch he's an incredible football player to watch too (laughs) yeah and he's good to play on tecmo football i was gonna say he he literally (laughs) invented the cheat code like it's it's no bo jackson rules like you you can't play as a raiders that's it's it's unfair because you literally could not he's a human cheat code you literally could not stop him it was stupid okay with that (laughs) it was so stupid When you're the best, you're the best. He was, and Bo knows, baby. Yes, he does. All right, so it's no secret that the real Art Howe, portrayed by Hoffman, has described the film as a character assassination. Howe said that he he wasn't consultant by anyone, excuse me, he wasn't consulted by anyone involved in making the movie. He wondered if filmmakers built their negative characterization of him based on discussions with Bean. And Bean, by the way, was a consultant on the film, but was not involved in the filming process. He was never on set uh, when he's quoted saying, where else would he would they get that information? How said on a radio show, people who don't know me are going to think that that's how I was. You work to build a reputation. And then in two hours, this movie breaks it down. Now, we've spoken before about filmmakers not having a responsibility to tell the truth in their movies. Uh, you stated before that on this show, actually, that, you know, you believe the filmmaker is not responsible for telling the truth and it's up to the viewer to do their homework. And I'm pretty sure we were talking about that during uh, when we were rambling about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood once. Um, and Tarantino's like, look, I'm not going to teach you this how this went down. You know, it's up to you to learn. 
And uh, do you think that that's that's fair for someone like Art Howe, someone that that has dedicated their their life to professional baseball, only to have his character portrayed in such a negative way, uh, only to build drama on screen? I mean, I don't think it's fair because they never asked him um, or they never consulted with him. And they kind of just created this curmudgeon asshole. And that's not fair because his likeness is being smeared. Um, And I think it's different to portray someone. So like in the sense of once upon a time in Hollywood, I was speaking to the Sharon Tate murders who unfortunately, you know, the the victims are not alive to kind of tell their stories, but, but Charles Manson is nothing but pure evil. And so to see those, those killers get murdered was, was, was awesome in in a certain sense. I mean, I don't want to see people die, but it's like, you know, those people killed Sharon Tate and everyone around there. And I, I think that's more what I was relating to is, People were probably like, well, why the fuck did he do that? It's like, well, you need to kind of understand the Sharon Tate murders. It's not up to Tarantino to, to tell you how how that actually worked and, and be verbatim. Um, mm-hmm. He's taking his 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 freedom with it or his liberties with it in this certain setting. Um, I disagree with how they portrayed art because, you know, they didn't speak with him and they consulted Billy Bean. It's like, how hard would it be to just say, hey, call up art and be like, hey, you know, we're making a movie on this. Would you be willing to speak with us for uh, consultation and all that kind of stuff? And I don't know, you know, if, if he would have told them to pound sand, then it's like, well, you know what? We reached out to him and we tried. But I do feel bad for art because mm-hmm. Most people, after seeing this, who probably have no idea who he is, think that he's Philip Seymour Hoffman for some reason, and, <laughs> yeah. and they, they just like <laughs> yeah, and they think that, uh, and and they probably think that he's a huge dick. But you know what? I mean, unfortunately, that's sports, and and I'm sure Art is used to this because I'm sure there were games when people are like, "Art has a fucking idiot. He doesn't know how to coach this team." Blah 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 blah. They took their jobs. So get out. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, Napoleon. You can you can leave. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just um, it it is a bummer, and I really do feel bad in the situation for for this because they didn't reach out to him. So I think that's a little different than you know. Tarantino knowing a story and be like, why would I ever talk to Charles Manson? I'm going to make it this way. So right. if that and makes any he sense. He got the same feedback with uh, Bruce Lee, right? His portrayal of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And which, that one was which is, pretty insensitive. But. Sure. And and I, I agree. What is sort of a cheat code of getting out of it, since you brought up the word cheat code, is it's Brad Pitt's character remembering that day. So it's his perception True. of... Bruce Lee and how that moment went down, whether it be exaggerated for the sake of how we tell a story to somebody, you know, it could be looked at that way. But I mean, I don't know how many human beings are going to take the time to have some sort of analytical approach to this guy's flashback where they might just be like, man, that Bruce Lee was a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And same goes for, for Art Howe. They're going to be like, like, Fuck this guy, man. He's an asshole. So uh, did you ever see Vice? You know, that, that movie about Dick Cheney? No, no, no. It was on my list. The one with um, Christian Bale. Yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, it's hilarious. But, you know, obviously they take a lot of liberties for that. It's an incredibly biased film. Um, so go into it just knowing that that it's not all true. But I totally could see because, I mean, I didn't know enough about Dick Cheney. So the first time I saw it, I'm like, man, what a piece of shit. But actually, like. I'm not saying Dick Cheney was a hero or anything like that, but I mean, they definitely painted him in a, in a certain uh, light. Okay, so the trade deadline scene is easily my favorite scene in this movie, where Billy is just wheeling and dealing across multiple teams, you know, one call after another, even multiple teams at the same time. 
you know, where does this scene rank for you? And can you imagine if this is how managing and trading actually is in real life? Seems seems so crazy that it might actually be true. <laughs> um, I I mean, maybe. It, it, or he's like, give me somebody. Yeah. <laughs> give me somebody while I'm waiting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it very well could be. It, it seems, and this poor secretary, I felt bad for her. Susan, she just... I'm wondering if she just knows these numbers by heart or if she has them all on speed dial. I would imagine they're all on speed dial, but, but I don't know. This was 2002. You know, it's, it could have been, could have been like, uh, what's the number again? Let's star 69. So they don't know or something. I don't know. Um, I'm sure her Rolodex was on point. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh very, very interesting. I love, you know, we, we when we did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, other movies like that, I love seeing a film where you can learn something about, uh, you know, an aspect of a sport or an aspect of a, of, of an everyday thing that we just don't know about. And it's explained really well. And they were wheeling and dealing. It wasn't my favorite scene. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I think my favorite scene was the, uh, the interactions for the, the saber metrics. So like when he first meets Peter brand and they go into the parking garage and he explains his philosophy of, of what you need to do. Like, you know, we, sh- we should be buying wins and to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Um, and to buy runs, you need to get, I'm sorry, not buy wins. We need to buy runs and to buy runs. You need to get on base, that kind of stuff. He, he says, yeah, he says you need to buy. Wins. Okay. He says you got to buy yeah. wins in order to buy wins. You got to buy, uh, runs. runs and in order to score runs, you have to be on base. And so I think that's so important and, uh, really, really like that. And then finally, the, um, when he hires Peter and then goes over, he's like, I told you to do three. He's like, I ended up doing 47. He's like, I actually did 50. I don't know why I lied to you right there. <laughs> yeah, I did 51. Yeah. I don't know why I lied to you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that scene is awesome because it shows you all the algorithms that he has and just the different numbers. And I mean, dude, that's what baseball is. It's, it's, it's so many stupid stats. Like, you know, this pitcher throws, he's seven and one on Thursday night games playing on the East coast after 7 PM or something. And it's so stupid, but I mean, that's as a manager, that's how you get the best out of your team. And that's the key word is team. It's not just one individual person saying, all right, well just swing away, swing away, Merrill. You know, he just, you have to really um, put that stuff together. And so that's what I really loved. I love the scenes that they talk about all the uh, statistics. It it just feels like you're watching a chef create this like perfect dish or like an artist paint a masterpiece sort of thing. It It's, uh, those, those are tops for me. But yeah, I mean, it, it, that was a cool scene. And I love, it's funny. He eats the popcorn and he gets Scott online. He spits it right out. Right. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Time to do business. Yeah. I don't know what Brad Pitt in, in, he has like a clause in every movie that he needs to eat. That guy's eat, always yeah. eaten. And uh, especially yeah. Ocean's Eleven. That's his thing. He's always eaten in those movies. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I noticed it, actually. Is that movie. He, yeah, he eats a lot. And then like once upon a time in Hollywood, he's eaten a lot. And it's just, um. Brad Pitt's a, I, I love Brad Pitt, but yeah, he's, he, he has that commanding kind of, uh, you know, you were in sales, so you, 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 you get it. I mean, sometimes you have to be assertive like he was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pushy, 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 push it, push it real yeah, good. Like, I forget the name, but he's like, you know, I want Anderson or whatever. He's like, I like Anderson. Nobody likes Anderson. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I forget the name, but it's the conversation. Yeah, no, you're right. He's like, nobody likes Anderson. And, and he's like, we'll take we'll take Henderson. He's like, you mean Anderson? He's like, see, he's like, see I already forgot his name. <laughs> Such and, and it's cool because we know that he's obviously trying. He's doing the, the classic undersell here. You know, we, we don't yeah. sell paper out of a log cabin. So. Right. It's so funny. Yeah, it's, I agree. It was a, it was a real good scene. Plus, I love Jonah Hill's where he's like trying to do the thing and he has his hand up and he's like silently. Yes, because he knows yeah. the deal went through. So 
Yeah. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, Billy will pay for him, but he gets to keep the profit when he sells him a year later. Yeah. So then the guy's like, well, I don't know about uh, all that. He's like, and I want soda. Re- restock my soda yeah. machine for three years. Yeah. That's funny. Pretty cool stuff. I agree, man. That was a really good scene. Yeah. I like it. So then another scene that I really enjoyed and actually affects me on a personal level uh, is when Billy Bean speaks with Dave Justice uh, at the batting cage. And I will go ahead and, and play a clip for you right now so you can hear it. Justice. Had a few thoughts. Yeah? Yeah. Can you teach me some things? Excuse me? Never seen a GM talk to players like that, man. You never seen a GM who was a player. Huh. We got a problem, David? No, it's okay. I know your routine. It's a pattern. It's for effect. But it's for them. All right? That shit ain't for me. Oh, you're special. You're paying me seven million bucks a year, man, so... Yeah. Maybe I am, a little bit. No, man, I ain't paying you seven. Yankees are paying half your salary. That's what the New York Yankees think of you. They're paying you three and a half million dollars to play against them. Where you going with this, Billy? David, you're 37. How about you and I be honest about what each of us want out of this? I want to milk the last ounce of baseball you got in you. And you want to stay in the show. Let's do that. Now, I'm not paying you for the player you used to be. I'm paying you for the player you are right now. You're smart. You get what we're trying to do here. Make an example for the younger guys. Be a leader. You can do that? All right. I got you. We're cool? We're cool. So did this scene do anything for you? Uh, like, what does it mean to know your role? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really good scene. And I, and I really enjoy the interaction between the both of them. It's exactly why young teams need that veteran presence to buy into the plan. So like for the Mariners, right, we have Mitch, Mitch Hanniger and he's 32 maybe. So, you know, he is a veteran on a team that are in their average age is about 25, 26. You need someone to buy into the program and 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 show people that like look this is we have to change and we have to be pioneers on this and when you see david justice doing it you're like shit okay yeah 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 i got this because he obviously knows what he's doing so uh it it was a really good way uh to persuade him and billy's a very good pitch man um so i'm glad that he was able to change how stubborn uh david might have been you know and I love that he said that hey, you're paying me seven million. He's like, no, the Yankees are paying three and a half million because that they that's how they valued you. They don't want you, so they're actually paying us, sort of thing. So yeah, it's um they're they're paying. 
He's like, they're paying you three and a half million dollars to play against them. It's, uh, I mean, that's pretty humbling. I mean, that that hurts. That would light a fire under my ass, and I'd be like, I cannot wait till we play the Yankees. Like that, <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'm gonna walk so hard. <laughs> so I know, right? Yeah, but um, th- this was like in retail, like I was saying earlier, when you try to instill new lines of thinking, and it's those curmudgeons, it's those people, because I mean, retail has a lot of lifers, people who aren't in it to necessarily make the money, but you know, they're just they're there and. They're like, well, this is how we've been doing it since the 90s, you know, before right. we had comp- complacency. Yeah, ab- like, absolutely. They've, they've fallen into their groove and they're okay with absolutely. it. Absolutely. And uh, those people are, are, are they're, they're hardest to break, but, you know, I, I, I kill them with kindness and uh, I really try. But once you finally get that, that buy-in, it's, oh man, it feels so good. It's the sky's the limit because they're, they're kinder to you. They understand, they fully embrace, they ask questions and then it just kind of spreads like wildfire and it's great. And I, I miss that kind of stuff. My role right now with work, I'm not in a position I can necessarily do that. I am the youngest of, of the group. So I have done some new things secretly. Well, not secretly, but silently that, that have <laughs> kind of come out and then it's like, boom, Hey, this is really cool what you just did. But I try to really be humble about it and, and know my limits. But as a manager in stores and stuff, I mean, yeah, you, you have to really try to do a Billy bean situation. So, um, yeah, it, that's a really good scene, man. I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I mean, we were talking about age earlier and that's one of the things that he brought to the table was experience. You know, he's been playing for a while and, you know, he wants him to milk the last bit of baseball that he has out of him. And and I really, really like that. And, uh, you know, that's that's exactly it. It's like, know your limits. I always like to quote Batman, like, know your limits, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> uh, you know, know your role. And, you know, and 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 for me, it's just having a, a deep and honest understanding of what I bring to the table. You know, don't try to be something that you're not. You know, there's there's that saying, fake it until you make it. And, and that works for some but if you're honest with yourself and your team, you know, I think you'll have more success. And I, I believe that in sports and I believe that in life and, and always just be true to yourself and, and play to your strengths. Um, you know, I'm not good at a whole lot of things, but I'm good at a couple of things. And and that's what I bring to the table. And and I am OK being humble. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to learn from somebody else. Uh, there's there's your way, then there's the right way, and the two are often exclusive. Yeah. So just be open to change, and and everything will work out. I agree. You know, knowing yeah, knowing your restrictions and your age. I mean, as as I get older, I've learned that there are certain things that I cannot do anymore, and it's 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 okay. You know, I had my time when I was younger, um, and that was my time. Um, mm-hmm. It's like Christian Bale and in, in the fighter. He's like, I had my chance, and I blew it. This is yours. So that kind of. Thing. I can go up my steps, up and down my steps seven times. <laughs> nice. Then my knee starts to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want me upstairs, it had better be for a good reason because it, I, I only get seven trips. And that's We're going to have to get you one of those hover rounds that you can sit on and it'll yeah. take you all the way to the top of the stairs. Like the old lady in Gremlins. Yeah. Man, I need that shit. Yeah, there you go. It's I don't go haywire and it'll get thrown out the window. What happened today? I was like, <laughs> fuck, seven times. Because <laughs> like, I was going to go down the this is my left knee to start hurting. Uh, I was like, ah, seven. That came quick. Uh, and it was I'm only sorry. like two in the afternoon. Like, <laughs> son of a bitch. It's all those rollers, man. <laughs> I know. I You're going like straight it. to your knees. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So let's talk about sports analysts on, on radio and TV. They fucking drive me absolutely bonkers. I dare say <laughs> crazy town banana pants. I, I fucking hate them so much. Yeah. And I get they're just doing their job, but the Monday morning quarterbacking and the doubts are just insulting to say the least. Uh, do you enjoy listening to any particular broadcaster um, 
or sports analyst? Well, clearly Jim Gray is the best ever. So. Sure. And Jim Rome, too. Let's throw him in oh, there, man. too. Oh, man. I bet, you won't, Fuck that, I bet you won't call me it again. <laughs> He's like, I bet you I will. Oh, man. Oh, Chris. Chris. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. What an asshole. He really I fucking is. hate that Jim Check Rome. Check that. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 don't, I don't like them. Jim Gray's a dick and whatever. Um, so I would have to say specifically for the NFL and for the MLB, because that's pretty much all I watch. I'll watch other stuff, but I don't really know the commentators enough for that. Um, so minor, minor announcers and commentators, but uh, I really like Tony Romo a lot. He brings such an interesting, he's so great because as an ex-quarterback, you know, he can, a former quarterback, he can like be like, all right, so what they're going to do right here is this play. And then sure as shit, it happens. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> he's, um, he's just really knowledgeable. Lewis Riddick is really great too on Monday Night Football. Um, he's more of a secondary role, but I really appreciate his analyst or analysis, I should say. Steve Rabel, Steve Rabel is the radio announcer for the Seahawks, and man, he's good. He uh, just is so elevated. It could be like a one yard run, and his voice gets so high and so excited. It's great. Uh, John Clayton. John Clayton is a NFL insider who. <laughs> he was our friend first, Clayton. <laughs> what is that? Saving so Oh, yeah. I was like, hey, have you met Darren? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know Darren. He was our friend. First. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the new friends. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, Danny Kelly is another one. He does some uh, fantasy football stuff, and he's a local guy from Seattle. Linda Cohn from ESPN. She's awesome. Love her. Mina Kimes, same thing. She's a big Seattle fan. She's a Washington native, and uh, she's ESPN analyst and just so good. Stacy Joe Rose is a local radio host, and I'm in love with her. I think she's beautiful. I just got to meet her, and that's it. And then um, Matthew Barry, he does fantasy football and a whole bunch of other stuff. He's really, really good. It's Jack Barry. He's the host Jack, of 21. Adam Schefter yeah. from the NFL is really great. All the breaking news. And then finally, Ryan Clark used to be a cornerback uh, for the Steelers. He is very, very poignant. Uh, MLB, you got Joe Buck. I really enjoy Joe Buck uh, just in the sense of um, he, he does a lot of sports, but Joe Buck for uh, playoffs and for baseball is awesome. Jessica Mendoza is great. She was an amazing uh, softball player and just she's so knowledgeable. Rick Riz. I went to school with a Jessica Mendoza. It's probably her. I don't think no, so. No, <laughs> it's a common name. Rick Riz for the Mariners. I just love that guy. Met him in person. He's nicest ever. Aaron Goldsmith, same thing. He is a announcer for the Mariners and just fantastic. Buster Olney, he does a lot of fantasy stuff, but he just knows baseball left and right, and that guy is a savant. Uh, John Bucigras is really great. He's he's good in most sports, but um, I like him in the MLB as well. Uh, just more of his um, commentary on ESPN. Shannon Dreyer for the Mariners. She is really, really great, and I love her. And then John Smoltz. John Smoltz, former Braves pitcher, just used to be incredible, uh, just an incredible pitcher, and he is a very good analyst. He's kind of like the Tony Romo of baseball in a certain sense. He just knows what's happening, and I, I love it to death. So long list, sorry, but I have a lot of... Uh, that was a long I list. do have a lot of commentators and analysts. As you as I was writing this question out, I'm like, oh, man, I got a lot of these. Or writing my answers, yeah. I was like, I got a lot. So um, are, do you agree with any of those? Do you have any that you don't like or or what? Uh, no, so I don't really listen to uh, what they're saying in, on football or baseball. Um, but like, like boxing, I, I like uh, a couple of different guys in boxing, like Jim Lampley. You know, he's one of my favorite broadcasters for boxing. I uh, love that dude. Max Kellerman, that's another one. A lot of people I like, like Kellerman. Over Max no, Kellerman. I like Kellerman. I think, he's, I think he's so knowledgeable. I fucking love him. I love everything that the man has to say. Yeah. So um, even, even when he's like says something and he's like, well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> like, like he, he he can he can admit to being wrong every once in a while, which I I kind of like. And then um, even Teddy Atlas, because he's like he was always really excited about um, fights, and he's the one that they always talk to in between rounds. Mm -hmm. Like 
you know, how do you how do you rank the score? And then he, he says what he's looking at the fight objectively. And then I always love it when former fighters yeah. are, are uh, broadcast like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was a really good one. Um, so I don't know. I boxing is one that I, I always like to put a little bit of stock into uh, because they're able to. It's almost like uh, it's not so much a coach telling somebody what to do and making plays. It's all about what's happening in the ring right then and there. Yeah. So it's just it's done differently. You know what I mean? It's yeah, the the their their coaches and trainer is telling them what they're doing wrong in between innings or in between rounds, rather. I don't know what I said innings, but <laughs> it's up to the fighter to think on their feet while it's happening. Mm-hmm. And they're either going to work at it or they're going to be terrible. <laughs> so, you know, it's fun to see them describe what's happening. They're, they're they're breaking down the action as opposed to, you know, saying that, well, they should have done this or they should have done that. You know, the, the, the adaptability piece exists in the ring from moment to moment, whereas in um, football, you, know, you get a play and then they comment on the play and then there's another play. You know what I mean? This is one thing after another. And sure, the, it, the players are adapting and having to do what they got to do. The quarterback is running the show along with, you know, obviously his his offensive coordinator and, and the coach. But you don't have time to really analyze it because it's one play after another. Whereas with boxing, it's three minutes and it's it's painful <laughs> or it's really good. So it's, just, it's, it's two different ways of looking at things, I think. And so uh, I don't know how to articulate that any differently, but uh, w- I think that's just why I'm, uh, I'm able to just listen and respect them a little bit more because it's less Monday morning quarterbacking. Yes. It's more in the now. You know what I mean? It would be so hard to be a play-by-play announcer just because you have to know the names. You have to, you know, Al Michaels is really good at that. And uh, you you have to really do your homework. And it's it's tough, man. So I agree with you. Sure. Yeah. So like basketball, hockey. Hockey uh, would be hard. It's 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 just too much happening to where you just got to enjoy the broadcast. Exactly. Whereas with football, there's a lot of breaks and they're able to just talk about they got they got to fill the airtime yeah can't have dead air so they're just constantly talking and so but it's different it's it's more of a critique instead of you know saying what's happening which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. i agree so a lot of times it can come off as pretentious it might not be but it can come off that way like, what do you know? You're just sitting in a fucking booth. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. There's <laughs> whistling Dixie here. Still going to need like the $2. Dollars, lot of that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. And then some of the fillers just, oh, I talked to so-and-so today. And, you know, they, they, they felt pretty good. Yeah, I can't stand that. And I, I can't stand when people are like, well, I texted Brett Favre earlier today. And he told me. And I'm like, fuck off, dude. You're just trying to. You're making this about you. And you're like, yeah, I get it that you have pull and you can talk to these people. <laughs> right. So right. stupid. It's, so that, that's another reason why I like racing, too, is because it's a lot of play by play. It's happening right now on the track. And then the accessibility that now exists between crews and and broadcasting is they're able to tell you what's going on with the car. Uh, you can spot it on TV like you can say, like, oh, man, that, that fucker's hooked up right now. He's he's going. He's way faster. And you can see just on your TV that that guy's, you know, a second and a half faster than everybody else. And but then. There's also why someone all of a sudden isn't handling well. What's going on with the car? And then you get to hear the dialogue and the back and forth. And that makes it interesting because then it becomes a, well, how is this going to play out? You know what I mean? It's not so much. Yeah, it's on the driver on how they drive the car. But at the same time, 
you're also riding on the equipment and how is, is it going to hold up, you know, and then are they going to make those changes as, as the weather changes, as the track heats up, as the love, as the rubber lays down, you know, there's so many factors on what's going to make the car work better. Totally. You know, if a car, if a car starts, you know, tight, it could get tighter as the race goes, or if it starts loose, it could tighten up and then the car is going to be even better. So it's just always tricky to see how it's going to play out. And there's a million different scenarios, but one of the reasons I like about racing is that someone can be in first fucking place and then boom, the engine goes yeah. or cut a tire and now you got drama. And one of the things that bothers me now about racing is that they have all these segments and they divide it up and they just to keep the field together. And I'm just like, fuck, I hate this. <laughs> and it's, I, I, I can't stand it. I used to like it when it's fucking 400 miles or 500 miles, 200 laps, whatever the case is. And you just got to make it to the end. And now it's all about keeping the field together, which causes more fucking accidents and it makes the race take forever <laughs> and it drives me insane. Yeah, I agree, man. But my God. Oh, man. you know, there's a part in the movie that really just it kind of burns. And I think it's supposed to. I think it's supposed to boil your blood a little bit. But um, at the end of the movie where you hear the the broadcaster saying, you know, what the Minnesota Twins exposed is the fact that the Oakland A's are fundamentally not a sound baseball team. I mean that they had a, a flawed concept that started with the general manager and with the brain trust over there thinking that they could reinvent baseball. You can't approach baseball from a statistical bean counting point of view. It's one on the field with fundamental play. You have to steal. You have to bunt. You have to sacrifice. You got to get men in scoring position, and then you got to bring them in. And you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. Nobody reinvents this game. Such a such a pessimistic way of looking at it. And that person right? is that person is very wrong. I wholeheartedly disagree with them. And and two years later, right? <laughs> we, we get that with with the Red Sox. Yeah, it's uh, not a fan of that, man. Yeah. So that just I as he was talking, I was just picturing every single fucker <laughs> yeah. on TV yep. just telling me this story of why they know so much more than everybody else. And I'm just like, dude. You don't know <laughs> every skip Bayless. So, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, eat a, eat a whole bag of dicks, right? And uh, and it's supposed to do that. I mean, they come. You watch this whole movie. You're two hours in, and then they lose, and you're like, oh fuck. And then this guy's just pouring salt into a wound, and he he doesn't know. He's just speaking to the camera right now, and it drives me insane. So let's talk about the streak. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I, I have a I have a follow up because you know fans can be just as just as interesting <laughs> as the broadcasters, you know. And you're a fan of of live tweeting games, and you share your comments frequently when it comes to your teams. Uh, you can get frustrated. I've read anger and and defeat before a game is even over. And why why is that? Why do you suppose that sometimes you just lose lose faith so quickly with either the Seahawks or the Mariners? Is it just is it a quick temper or is it passion or is it an unbridled enthusiasm? Well, I'm very aware that you read my tweets because you 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 let me know. <laughs> um, so you can probably if you listen if you if you put. A, a shell next to your face you will hear me laughing <laughs> oh i <laughs> that oh i know oh i know <laughs> and i'll explain why i mean so it's you know i i don't lose faith in, in in both teams necessarily i think what it comes down to 
is it, it's a quick reaction and it's it's mostly a way for me to vent my frustration using Twitter. I mean, I spend a lot of time alone. I live alone. I go do do I do things alone and it sucks, you know. I wish that I had friends or a partner or something that lived near me, but I don't. So, I have to use different means and I've met some amazing people in person from Twitter who've become friends and we share the similar interests, you know, through sports and stuff. So, I like to vent about that kind of stuff and it's nice to have someone, you know, maybe agree with you, but then it's also equally nice for them to be like, wait a minute, hang on a second. You know, I think you're overreacting for this. And I'll be like, okay, yeah. Or I'll see someone who has a massive, uh, a bigger massive overreaction to something. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And I do want to clarify that it's mostly for the Seahawks games. I do get upset with the Mariners, but you know, 18 years of, of no playoffs, 19 years of no playoffs have kind of made me numb to everything. It's when we start winning and it's games that you're like, dude, this team is built to win this series. Like you have to do this one. Why are you shitting the bed? It's more of a, this is so stupid. So I don't know. I, I do think Twitter is just, it's, it's for whatever you want it to you know, whatever you want it to be and whatever you want to tweet. And so I'm always optimistic about my teams, but some things are just absolutely ridiculous and you're, you just get, you just get frustrated with the Seahawks. I, I, I lose, I lose faith when it's apparent they aren't utilizing or, or kind of like they're not performing the way that they should given the talent that they have. Um, they haven't sucked for 18 years like the Mariners. They've been playoff contenders for 10, the last 10 seasons. And so it's been hard for them maybe like the last four years because they've seemed to kind of lost they've, they've been, they lost their way and they aren't utilizing uh, Russell, Russell Wilson in, in the best capacity. So it really bugs me. And I mean, I get passionate about sports, but never to a point where it ruins my life. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, stew in my own filth or it's not going to ruin my day necessarily. I've gotten a lot better throughout the years. So I, I don't know. It's, it's funny you say that, that I do tweet a lot about sports. Cause I mean, I don't think I do any more as much. I, I definitely have learned to, to curb it, but um, I will be like, God damn it. That's so stupid. That's game. So it's yeah. specifically when the Seahawks are. Playing yeah. And, and or you're you're at a game, you know, it's it's usually only on on two teams that you actually care. Yeah. about. You know, if it's if it's insert Monday night football two random teams that you don't have a horse in that race, then, you know, you're obviously not going to care. But when it's your team in that race, then it's it's funny how. I, I just I literally it's so funny because like I'll be watching the game with Alex and and I'm just I'm like I gotta check Zach <laughs> I, I know <laughs> you do. I, I wait I wait like two or three minutes after something like after a fumble or after an interception. I'm like okay and go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like diabolical like Mister like Smithers, you know, and I'm just like waiting. I'm just like okay, any second now, any second now. Oh, oh man, so funny. I told her when we first started dating, and we did the whole thing. Like, what would you do if you won the lottery? And it was like, you know, whatever, a couple billion dollars or something. I'm like, oh man, I'd buy the Seahawks, and I would trade all their players, and I'd buy the worst players that there <laughs> ever are, and I would make sure that they lost every single game <laughs> from now until forever. She's like, why? You're so mean. I'm like. Dude, it's the fans, man. Yeah. I can't stand the Seahawks fans. That is my that is my diabolical plan for Seattle. <laughs> I, I mean, I love the Mariners. Fucking, fucking, absolutely love the Sonics when we had them. I, you know, the Sounders are fucking cool. Uh, WNBA, forget about it. Everything's fucking awesome. Everything about Seattle is insane. 
I just hate the fucking Seahawks. <laughs> I agree. Oh, it's it's, so it, it's it's very toxic the Seattle fan base, but I mean, I am a true fan, and I think the you said you know I only do it for the Mariners and Seahawks, and that's accurate. It's because they're very special to me. I mean, the Mariners, especially like they're, they're, they're totems for my father. And so it's something that reminds me of him. And that's why I, I really love sports and that's why I take it. I'm, I'm very passionate about it, but it's not going to ruin my day. And for, for me, yes, I completely agree. And I'll be the first, I'm a, I'm a huge Seahawks fan, but I'll be the first one to be like, I fucking hate Seahawks fans because we're seeing it right now with us playing like shit and people are jumping ship. I mean, I have tickets for all for every game this season, and they are selling for like forty dollars, fifty dollars under the the face value, and so it's um it's crazy. There was a weird lull in the air on Sunday. Uh, Might have been because it was Halloween, maybe because it was against the Jags, or maybe it's because we've been losing, and so it felt very odd at the game. Um, but you are seeing a lot of people jump ship. Uh, I just really try to. I'm I'm, I'm personally trying to avoid doing the drastic things that's that a lot of other people are doing and just saying you know like oh i'm so tired of this team fire everybody uh because <laughs> you know they want to fire everybody because they they don't understand how sports work um i had a conversation with with this gal the other day who was saying she she hates the mariners and i was like why do you hate the mariners she's like they need to fire the the gm and the manager because they don't do anything to help the team win i'm like what are you talking about um there's a guy in my fantasy football league who said that uh, re-signing DePoto and Scott Service were the the was the worst move the Mariners had made in ten years, and I I lost it. I'm like, wait a minute, you're an Oakland Raiders fan, and you're probably an Oakland A's fan. What the fuck are you talking about? Do do you even watch the games? Like, do you even know what happened? We ended up twenty games over five hundred this year. That's our best record we've had since like two thousand and three. And so it's incredibly ignorant for someone who doesn't watch a team or doesn't understand how things work or like in this situation, how any sport works <laughs> to come in and, and, and say an arbitrary, just outlandish statement like that. I, I, I can't fucking stand that. And unfortunately that's what a lot of Seahawks fans do is we need to fire Pete, Pete Carroll. And I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> While I do disagree with, with Pete's uh, shitty play calling at times, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And so you know, to bring it back to this movie, you're not going to fire Art Howe because of the team that he was given, right? So it's um, it's it's just it's, it's just insane, and it's it's that Randy Quaid character from uh, from Major League who just freaks out at his team, getting getting pissed off because they're losing, and then as soon as a Wild Thing comes out, he puts his hat on <laughs> the correct <laughs> way. So to, yeah. to to sum that up, basically, um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting better at trying not to do it, but honestly, Justin, I just do it to vent. It's it's just a way to vent. Um, I mean, I, I see people post it all the time and, and Twitter, you know, people can do whatever they want on Twitter and that's totally fine. Um, I'm not, I'm not there to tell them they shouldn't be doing it, but yeah, it's, um, it's hard being a fan sometimes. <laughs> it is. I, I literally search like, uh, I do hashtag Seahawks and I just don't I read those taste the tears, yeah. man. Yeah. It's so don't, funny. but I mean, don't, don't let the, the actions of, of those people sum up how, how true Seattle fans are. It's, it's, it's just frustrating. And then even the people who are overly, you know, enthusiastic, like I'm just, I'm, I'm happy. We all did such a great job. Like it was still a good season. I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> it only counts if you win that last game of the series sort of thing. So I, I'm very Billy Bean in that aspect, but you know, I, I can I can be upset at the way certain things have happened, but I'll get over it. Um, sure. Some yeah. people, it ruins their whole week. Yeah. 
Some people from, really from does. Sunday to Saturday, they are they are just a disagreeable human yeah, being. I'm not a fan of that. It's crazy. I do think it's interesting that you know when we're kids and we play little league or whatever, and we we're taught sportsmanship, right? You know, high fives and shake hands and you know say good job to your opponents and all that stuff. And then somewhere down the line, you lose it, and you're just this obnoxious drunk fan in the crowd. Just shouting out the worst things imaginable. Yeah. And it's like, man, what what happened to that guy? <laughs> Why are you so terrible? And how come I always sit in front of the loudest whistler on the planet? I fucking uh. I have the worst luck when it comes to seats <laughs> at, at baseball games. It's so funny. It's weird how that happens. Like when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, good game. This is awesome. And then it's like, yeah, fuck off and oh, pay attention. Go to hell, blue. Because games were fun, man. I mean, the sports used to be fun when, when you were playing it back in the day. Then, you know, once money gets involved and then fantasy sports and just people, people are people, you know, so why should it be? Mode. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's one of my favorite lines in the league when uh, Andre's in like the Uber. <laughs> He's like, people are people. Depeche Mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. So let's talk about the streak. Do you remember when this was going down? Did you get to watch the game where the A's reached 20 wins in a row? Um, I did not. I, I don't remember much from uh, from back in high school, and back, especially back in 2002. I think it was a sophomore. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I never I never I never really remembered any of it. But, yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. I so I do. Uh, two thousand two was a fun year. That's when uh, the Angels uh, won the World that's Series. That's right. And uh, I was living in the Anaheim area at the time. I was in Fullerton, one street over, or one town over, rather. And uh, it was just electric, man. I, and so I remember going to uh, one of the last games of the season where the, the Angels played the A's, and it was going to be scary because you know, like you're like, fuck, the A's are they're good this year <laughs> like angels needed to win you know so i was like ah uh you know they went on to play the giants who you know is david from geek legacy his favorite team and it was really cool because when they went to the world series the two teams uh he got me a program which i thought was awesome. nice yeah we had been working together and it was fun. oh that david i was like oh can you get me a program he's like absolutely came to work the next day with a program sweet but me yeah. yeah it was sweet all right then. Um, so, where do you stand on superstitions? We, we you're talking about in the synopsis when when A's are up eleven to nothing, and then and Billy doesn't go to the games; he just kind of listens to him on the radio. But then when he shows up, they immediately start scoring against him, and you're just like, "Fuck!" Do you have any pregame rituals or any funny superstitions that you uh, have to do during games? Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe in superstitions, but it's only crazy if it doesn't work, sort of thing. Um, when I was in high school, I um, I had some where, you know, I'd wear like the same socks or something like that or not wash my, I don't know, my girdle or something like that for football. <laughs> um, but that was different. Excuse me. That was different. With uh, professional sports, it comes down to like a jersey. If, if I am, if, you know, if the Hawks are playing at home, I have to wear a blue jersey. If they're playing away, I wear a white or I wear a gray. Gray is interchangeable. Um, if, if we lost and I was wearing a certain player's jersey, that next home game, I have to wear a different player. Um, that kind of comes into play. If I'm watching something on TV, like when I watch Felix's perfect game, I didn't move uh, an inch from where I was sitting. I was on the edge <laughs> yeah. of the seat and I, I like, I was like, I can't, I needed to go to the bathroom, but I was like, I'm not moving. I can't, I have to. Like in like 2012 or whenever that was. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, 2012. I, I 
had to stay where I was. There was no way I could have moved. And so, um, I mean, that was huge, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think there are certain superstitions that I have and, and I'm, I'm all for it. Plus it's, it's a cool thing to do. Like when people, baseball players, a lot of time they just grow out their beards and they just let it keep growing. And I think that that's really fun or, you know, let their hair grow out. Um, I can't, I can't grow a beard. So, uh, I would, if I could, but, but what's with all the kickers in the NFL having fucking mustaches, man. I hate it. I hate it so goddamn much. I don't know. I hate the mustaches. They got to go. They should be outlawed. That'll be a fucking law. <laughs> Maybe you should tweet about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if 140 characters is enough. I just, I, I need to vent. <laughs> I hate mustaches and they all have them. And it drives yeah, me I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't know. It's, um, it's just one of those things. When I'm president of the National Football League, I am banning mustaches. I hope you do more than that if you're the president. Nope. That's the only thing I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was uh, when the Chargers uh, went to the Super Bowl and it was the 94, 95 season and they ended up playing fucking the San Francisco 49ers and the 49ers were the team to beat, man. They were so goddamn good that year and they were impossible. Nobody could have beat them. And what was funny is that Chargers, you know, they were underdog the whole season. And then when they get to the playoffs, they had to, they had to play against the Dolphins and they're like, oh, they're going to lose against Miami, going to lose against Miami. So hands down. And then this guy, the fucking kicker, I forget his name, but he can, he was like a super long kicker. He can make anything. He fucking missed a game winning field goal. Oof. And like total fucking Finkel and I horn. The laces were, <laughs> the laces were in. And he missed the, he missed the kick. And it just so happened, Zach, that I was eating orange Tootsie Pops. And my mom had bought uh, like a big bag, but everyone ate every color. It was like a, there's like a purple one. There's a, there's a brown one. There's an orange one, a red one, but all the other colors were gone except for orange. I just had this big old <laughs> bag of orange. And so I was like, Oh wow, that was lucky. So then the next week they got to play Pittsburgh Steelers. And how the hell are you going to play Pittsburgh, San Diego, someone from San Diego going to Pittsburgh in the winter time. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about it. It's going to be freezing. It was the warmest goddamn day in all of Pittsburgh. in like the longest time. It was like a record warm day. And I'm sitting there eating my orange fucking Tootsie Pops. I'm like, dude, it must be the Tootsie Pops. But I got a little overzealous. And I and and the Chargers beat the, the fucking Steelers. But I had ran out of orange Tootsie Pops. <laughs> you get to the fucking Super Bowl. The opening kickoff, 49ers score. I'm like, shit, we got to go get some orange Tootsie Pops. Stat. <laughs> yeah, this is... This is we're at critical mass right now. This is, this is bad news bears. And uh, they, they didn't win. Oh, man. But you son of a bitch. I'm going to write yeah. to the Chargers right now. Write to Dan Fouts. <laughs> he going to be pissed. Or Doug Flutie. Yeah. He going to be pissed. <laughs> it was, uh, I think, Stan Humphreys was the quarterback oh, back then. Oh, Stan the man. And uh, LT? Yeah. Was it to- no, that was in, this was in the 80s. No, yeah, this was in the 80s. No, it was not. This is was, this was 95. Uh, LT came there, uh, what, early 2000s, yeah. I guess? Um. But yeah, it was like Natron means, like Natron means business. Yeah. And um, <laughs> fucking Stan Humphreys, Junior Sale. Oh, yeah. Um, my goodness. Junior Sale, RIP. Yeah. Whew. So, yeah, I, I that was my superstitious moment was the, the fucking horn Tootsie Pops. Oh, let's charge us down, man. I, I will take the heat on that one. Just a little bit stitious. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, so yeah, that was fun. Uh, final thoughts on Moneyball and what is your letter grade? Oh man, yeah, I love Moneyball. I think this is such a, a, a good movie. I mean, yeah, sure, take it with a grain of salt. Um, if you're a sports fan, it, it makes for a wonderful story because it's kind of one of those ones where, you know, they don't win, they lose. And um, the A's have not uh, won a World Series since the, the, the 80s, I guess, or the 90s. Uh, 80, 89, yeah. I think. Probably. One really important thing to remember too for this film that I didn't really mention and I should have mentioned was not only were you know these people getting on base, but they also bolstered like one of the greatest bullpens that has ever pitched. And I mean Barry Zito was he had like twenty three wins that year, and Tim Hudson had like a ton of wins. He had like nineteen, and their defense was just on point. We we gave that Scott Hatterberg a stat of his nine ninety four um, fielding percentage. I mean they had Miguel Tejada, they had Eric Chavez. I mean. This team was 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 good, and they could mash home runs too. So it's it's um it's just interesting because they won 103 games, I think, which is fucking crazy. But yeah, that's crazy good. town banana pants. So um, that is what we strive for. I mean, and we're looking at that. Houston did that. They had an amazing farm system, uh, and and they kind of um, built that up. And the Mariners are on pace to do that right now. We've had a really good farm system, and our pieces are coming together. And I'm so fucking excited for baseball. But we are in. Critical mass also, for lack of a better term, critical mass to find uh, four big players, especially since you say did not exercise his option. But anyways, so Moneyball really, really enjoyed it. Letter grade. I'm going to probably give it an A, just a solid A. I I, I really, really liked this movie a lot. Um, I don't know if it's the top baseball movie for me, but man, I really like it. What is your favorite baseball movie? Uh, ooh, I think I know I should be more prepared for this because it's got it's in there somewhere. I don't like Field of Dreams. I think that movie's overrated. <laughs> I really enjoy Major League. I like Little Big League. Little Big League is kind of in the same vein as this, where it's all about um, setup and and strategy, and I, and it's just a fun movie too. It's a kid. It's like, oh my god, what if you were the manager and the owner of the Twins at the age of like thirteen? Uh, Rookie of the Year is really good. Uh, For Love of the Game is really good. Um, the Natural is pretty good. Um, ooh, Bull Durham is awesome too. Man, I don't know. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. I like For Love of the Game. I, I kind of forget about that one every now and again, where he's just basically on the mound. Clear the mechanism. His... Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, that movie's crazy. Yeah, pretty awesome, right? Yeah. I saw that one. Uh, just It was one of those midnight movie type things, and I was like, oh, I got nothing going on. <laughs> and I was like, man, this movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's, it's only got a 6.6 on IMDb, but I remember enjoying the shit out of it, but whatever. Stranger yeah. things have happened. Yeah. What about you? What's your letter grade? Uh, for Moneyball? Oh, man, I give it an A. I love this movie. I think it's so fun. And I, I I, just love like sort of the human element to it. You know, it's not about like A-listers and awesome players. And I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it an underdog story. Like it doesn't feel like an underdog story. It feels like they have what they need to do. I mean, the real underdog is fucking Billy Bean, I suppose. But he he presents himself in a way to where I'm just rooting for him just because I think he's got, you know, the right head on his shoulders. It's, I'm right. not rooting for him because he's down and out. I'm rooting for him because I think that he's got something cooking. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, he could do this. So it might also on paper, it might be an underdog movie, but I don't see it that way, which right. is, sounds kind of weird. But and they present it like that too a little bit when they're going through the you know hey these are all the players that have been kicked to the side because they throw funny or look funny or they're weird or whatever right. they they have immense value and I love that I love when a player goes to a team and he is either paid way too much and he crashes and burns 
Manny Machado, or uh, you have something where, uh, you know, you have a player who's not doing well somewhere and then goes in another place and just thrives. Right. And unfortunately, that has happened uh, against the Mariners a lot where we've had players like Chris Taylor or like um, Doug Fister leave our team and they just thrived other places. And it right. sucks. <laughs> and, that, and that's what happened with Oakland was they, they were yep. basically a farm team. Yep. And exactly. It's like, well, that's that's not right. <laughs> yeah, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't know. I I really enjoy. It. I think it's funny. I think it's clever. I like movies where I feel intelligent for watching them. Me too. You know, um, that I think that that that's fair. When like Aaron Sorkin's really good at that. That's one of his talk about playing to their strengths. He's a fantastic writer, and if even if you have no interest in baseball, you can enjoy the shit out of this movie. And he does that by by using dialogue that that teaches you something, but not in an insulting way. It, it, it has a back and forth about it and a cadence to it that just makes you keep up with what they're saying. And they're not talking to you like you're an idiot, which I think goes a really, really long way. It's hard to not be romantic about baseball. That's what they say. Exactly. I 100 <laughs> exactly. percent agree with him. That's just that line alone is is exactly what, uh, you know, and then he says it again. He's like, how can you not be romantic about baseball? I 100 percent agree. That's why it's my favorite sport. Um, I just the, the drama. October is just amazing. Congratulations to the Braves for winning and fuck the Astros. But um, but yeah, it's just uh, very, very cool. So I agree, man. It's a good movie. True. And I like the quote at the beginning, the Mickey Mantle quote. Yeah. It's unbelievable how much you don't know about the game you've been playing oh, all man. your life. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, I feel that you, way about yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> And if you don't know, now you know. Right. <laughs> Friendo. <laughs> exactly. So cool, Sweet. man. Okay. Well, here we That's go. That's it. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast there. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at uh, Mr. Rolo Eater himself, Edgy Armo, yeah. and at the Peanut Butter Snickers, Mr. Peanut Butter Snickers, Zachdale60. You can share your thoughts with us, uh, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. We love recommendations. Just please re- make sure that it is streaming. I messed up and uh, forgot the month changed and the movie we wanted to do was not there. So <laughs> that's on me. Um, but if you uh, go ahead and listen to us on Apple Podcasts or any of the other platforms on Apple Podcasts, uh, scroll all the way down and give us a five-star rating if you like it. It really helps us. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. I have not read or listened to their entire episode, but they just did a breakdown on Dune and their reviews on it, and it uh, should be fun. We just, did a review on Dune. I know, but you guys did a reaction also, and uh, you were talking about it. And, uh, I think it was spoiler-free, I th- too. I thought it was funny when you were like, it's called Dunes, <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> did that go into it? Oh, I, yeah. I thought that was pre-show. I didn't, it's that so was funny. funny. I was going to take that out. I was like, that was so stupid. But then I thought that, I was like, nah, we've had that conversation before the show started. No, That's I laughed. So and, and then David was like, Dune 2, Dune Harder. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh my god, I yeah. can't believe I left that in there. Oh, it was I, funny. I didn't even listen to the episode. I convinced myself that that conversation happened before we started recording. Oh, I laughed. I was I was laughing and laughing. I thought it was so funny. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs>